Miracy. Hello, and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey there, Danny. We're just about ready to kick off season two of Course Lab, and we've got some great behind-the-scenes insights from creators doing really interesting things, both with the ways they've designed their courses to get their students some really powerful results, and also with the way they've structured their businesses to make it more scalable and lucrative. But before we do that, we thought it would be fun to compile some of the most frequently asked questions that come our way and answer them. So without further ado, let's line up our first question. You've seen and worked with a lot of people who are creating online courses, but what makes the difference between the ones that succeed and the ones who don't? Well, we hear that one a lot. Abe, do you want to take a swing at this one first? Sure. I mean, I guess it starts with defining success, right? Because there's success in terms of the course actually doing what we want it to do in terms of helping people make progress in, in some area or achieve a certain transformation or you know change their behavior and achieve some result. But then there's also success in terms of the business model, right? And having a course that actually sells and is profitable and, and takes your business where you want it to go. And, you know, success in both those arenas is intertwined. It's unlikely that you'll have a sustainable, thriving business unless you're creating a course that's valuable for people. But you can't have one without the other. You know, we see people that their course is a labor of love and they, they put tons of effort and interesting content into it, but they don't really have the business end of it dialed in. And, you know, more so I think in the past than we see today, but there certainly are courses that sell on the basis of, you know, just really strong marketing, even though the course itself, you know, maybe is not as effective or transformative as it, as it could be. So I guess that would be the first answer is understanding what do we mean by success and, and how to tackle each of those two things that we could probably talk for hours about each one. So maybe I'll share a little bit between what I see affecting success in each area, then Danny can give his take. But I think, you know, in, in terms of success with defining an effective online course, one that helps students achieve a result or transformation, to me, one of the biggest things is focusing on action and behavior by participants as opposed to focusing on content. And one of the biggest mistakes we see people making is thinking or conceiving of their course as entirely about content and just thinking that if they put a lot of interesting and well-produced content in front of people then they've created a valuable course when really what matters is how are students using and taking action with specific techniques or specific methods that can then lead to meaningful results over time. Those are my thoughts. Danny, I don't know what is jumping out to you. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with everything you've said. I guess what I would add is that building a thriving online course and online course business is a long-term pursuit. So can you see significant results in a relatively short amount of time? Yes, but they tend to be episodic in the early stages, right? You know, you put your pilot together, you launch it, you make a bunch of money, then you deliver it, then maybe you launch another pilot. And so you make money as you launch an individual course. It doesn't get to that big sustainable number that comes in kind of automatically on autopilot sort of thing until a while down the road. And so the people who are in it for like the quick home run tend to not see it because that's just not realistic in most cases. And then they get discouraged and leave, whereas the people who are in it for the long haul and expect to do the work and iterate from the things that they've learned and then kind of get to the next step and do it better, 
they're the ones who kind of see a compounding effect of the results that come into their business. And that drives financial success, which also drives your ability to create impact at scale for other people. I've been thinking about creating an online course for a few years now, and I've taken a few programs online, but I haven't taken the plunge myself. I'm just afraid that nobody will end up buying. How can I know if this is going to work or not? Well, I guess the short answer is that you can't know for sure, but you can be reasonably confident based on the market research that you do if it's done correctly and based on the seeding of the market to kind of line up prospective buyers. And then, of course, the methodology that we teach is all about selling the course before you build it. And when you do that, you're much, much more confident that you're moving in the right direction. So can you ever have a 100% guarantee? Well, no, not about any particular idea. But if you follow the right process, and if you, you know, need that help, then work with someone who can guide you, then you can dramatically increase your chances of success, but also your speed to market in terms of how fast does it take? Because here's the thing, if you spend a few weeks on it, and it turns out nobody wants it, that's not that big of a deal. If you spend a couple of years on it, and then it turns out nobody wants it, well, then that's a really big deal. So it's important to get that clarity quickly. And then if you need to pivot to something else, then you pivot to something else, which could be very different or just marginally different from a positioning standpoint. And then a few iterations of that, and you get to that success pretty reliably just about every time. I think, you know, another key word in this question is afraid, right? I'm afraid that nobody will end up buying it. Where's that fear coming from? I think something we see is there's almost a, there's a fear or an aversion to actually just speaking directly with your potential clients, your customers, the people who would be going through your course. And it's really important to just tackle that head on. It shouldn't feel scary. And it may be just because you haven't done it very much, but it should come to feel very natural to reach out and talk to people about what their needs and questions are and and how you can better help them. And once that does become natural and you're doing it all the time, then it'll become very, also very natural to figure out what people want. And then it's not hard to sell the course, right? But I think this fear comes from a backwards way of looking at things. You think that you have to create your course in isolation and then use all these clever marketing tactics to sell it. But that's really not the case. Think of it more as a conversation with your potential customer and it should get a lot easier. I really like what you're doing with Course Lab. I appreciate the inside view at the design of the different courses and all the strategies for making the business work. That's sort of what my question's about today. How should I decide how much time I spend in making my course great versus like focusing on the marketing? Yeah, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that one. I mean, it's kind of like asking about which do you need more of in your sandwich, peanut butter or or jelly? Like it depends on, you know, where you're at, right? And also what your preferences are. Because again, I think there's this misconception about marketing that you just have to get really good at specific tactics and then your course will be printing money. And I don't believe that to be the case, even though, you know, certain tactics can be helpful. I think it's more about, you know, having what a lot of tech companies call product market fit, right? You have to have a a product, a course in this example, that people really want. And if you have something that people really, really want, then it's not this enormous project to market it. You just have to get the idea in front of some of the right people. Whereas if you don't have a course that's really aligned with people's needs and questions, if it's not something they really want, then no amount of marketing is going to be helpful. 
So not to evade the question, but in some ways, I think that you need to look at the question at a deeper level, right? And the deeper level is, are you really understanding your customers' needs and, and creating a course that is going to align with them? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I would also add that, you know, in our programs, we teach about the concept of a bottleneck, right? What is the constraint on your growth right now? In other words, why is your business not bigger than it is right now? Why is it not achieving what you want it to achieve? And so there's always one thing holding you back. And so if it's that, you know, the course is just not getting people the results or it's not good enough to sell or attract attention, make the course better. If it's that the course is not aligned with what the market wants, that's, you know, kind of a course design, kind of a marketing question. So it's a, an integrated thing, but make sure you're selling something people want. If you've got a great course and people want it, but nobody knows about it, then focus on the marketing. So it's all about looking at the bottleneck and spending most of your energy on whatever that bottleneck is. And so that can kind of rotate as you go. Sometimes you want to spend most of your energy on product development, on creating your course. Sometimes you want to spend most of it on the marketing. On a more intuitive level, the pattern that we tend to see with a lot of course creators is that some things are going to be really within your comfort zone. They're your strengths. They're, they're what you enjoy and what you're good at. And other things are less so. And in most cases, like course creators tend to be more excited about the course and the product than the marketing. And so if that is the split, what you'll tend to find is that your instinct is to do what you like and are comfortable with. And that just doesn't work as well. And so in in that scenario, kind of the good rule of thumb is like, you should probably be spending more time on the thing that you feel like spending less time on. I'm really conflicted about something I hear from you guys a lot. You talk about how important coaching is as part of an online course. And I get it, but the whole reason I want to create a course is so that I don't have to spend as much time with my clients. What am I missing? Yeah. So I think what's, and I totally understand that perspective. A lot of people come with this perspective and it's a little bit baffling. It's like, well, I understand the coaching is important, but that feels like a backward step in the direction that I want to go. And the way I think about it is that the name of the game is always about leverage. How can you create more impact using not less of your time, although it does end up being less of your time, but really it's about a better bang for buck with your time. And that's what a course enables you to do. So, you know, the fantasies of passive income tend to be just that. They're fantasies, right? It's not that simple. You're always going to have to spend some time upkeeping and administering, etc. But if you can double, triple, quadruple the amount of impact that you're creating and cut in half or by 10 or whatever the factor is, the amount of your time that you're putting in, that's a really good step in the right direction, right? And so that's the math that you kind of want to be looking at. So it, it's also a consideration when you think about not how much of your time does it take, but how much of a coach's time. Because in the early days of your course, the coach is probably going to be you. But when you think about it, not in terms of how much total time does it take, but how much time does it take per student, you can start looking at, well, is it cost effective and profitable for somebody else to do this, right? If you spend, I'm just making this up, let's say you, you sell your course for $1,000 and it takes you two hours of one-on-one -on -one coaching time to support the student right? That's $500 per hour. That's a great return on your time. Now, that being said, multiply that by a thousand students and there just aren't enough hours in the day, week, month, or year. So it doesn't matter how profitable it is. It just doesn't work. But when you turn it around and say, well, I can get a great coach for a hundred bucks an hour. And, you know, so I can take two hours of a great coach's time. That's $200. I mean, $800 of profit. And I could build a team of coaches if I want to. I could have unlimited number of students go through this program and the unit economics work. That's where scalability really comes from. So first focus on leverage. And once the leverage is good, it doesn't have to be you anymore. 
Abe, is there anything you would add to that? Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I guess just also mention that just because coaching is valuable, it doesn't mean that it has to be a critical component of any specific course design, right? It is just one approach for helping participants in your course stay active, stay engaged, and get meaningful results. But it's not the only method for doing so. There are also methods such as integrating community into your courses or helping people work together with peers in small groups to stay accountable to each other and to make headway through social connections rather than relying on a you or a professional coach. It can also involve just the scope of the program design itself, right? There Deeper, more transformative programs tend to have a higher need for support and coaching because they're more difficult for people to progress through. But a course design that is very focused on like smaller milestones, smaller, more achievable results can be more amenable to self-study and not require so much support, right? So, you know, think about, for example, there are many, you know, low-cost, accessible meditation and mindfulness type programs that are available that don't necessarily involve any coaching or support because they're just trying to help people achieve, you know, a relatively small milestone of understanding and starting a basic meditation practice. Whereas something that was intended as a deeper and more transformative mindfulness experience that really helps people shift, let's say, their baseline level of anxiety or have other deep and profound effects that might be a longer, deeper course design and include more support and coaching. When I look at people who've got successful online courses, I feel like they're all relating to the topic of how to make money. I can't really tie my course to tangible outcomes like that. Does that mean this isn't going to work for me? Well, I think that, again, to reframe the question a bit, think about where are you looking for successful courses in the first place, right? So for sure, there's lots of successful online courses on topics related to mindfulness, as we just mentioned, health, uh, relationships, spirituality, creative pursuits like painting and drawing. And none of those have financial outcomes. And many of them don't even have any tangible outcomes, right? A course on how to deepen your sense of spiritual connection doesn't have a tangible outcome. Even a course on improving your relationship with your spouse doesn't necessarily have a direct tangible outcome, even though it's really important to people. So I think it's a mindset shift, you know, to start with to think about what's meaningful to your client and meaningful and valuable doesn't necessarily have to be financial and it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, tangible or visible either. Yeah, I would add to that because I hear that concern a lot, right? You know, all the courses that make a lot of money seem to be about making money. And I would say that, first of all, there's a selection bias there because, you know, the people who want to succeed as online course creators are generally in the market for courses about making money. And so those are the courses that they see, right? Because that's what you're looking for. It doesn't mean those are the only courses that are out there. But with that being said, there are three big core human drivers that tend to be where people are able to command a premium. The first is around making money. So that, that's everything to do with financial stability, security, et cetera. The second is about love relationships, connecting with other people. And the third is health and wellness. So as some marketers like to shorten it, you know, getting paid, getting laid and staying alive. Those are the three core human drivers. And most courses that people will pay a premium for 
will fall into one of those buckets in some way, right? Like, let's say I'm taking a course about personal style. Why do I want to look good? Because it makes me feel confident and that allows me to connect with other people and build relationships, right? It helps with the dating and social connection. That falls into that second bucket. So it can be a few steps removed in terms of a, why do they want this? Well, why do they want this? But it does have to fall into one of those three buckets. And while you don't need to have very quantifiable, you know, this many dollars of ROI, it is valuable as a thought exercise to think about, well, what outcomes could I try to hold myself accountable to? What outcomes would my student want me to be accountable to, whether they are quantitative or qualitative outcomes? And that will generally guide you to make a better course. My question is about timelines. I've heard the stories of people who seem to make a million dollars overnight, and I've also seen people go in circles for years. I'm thinking that those are probably both exceptions. What's the actual average? How long does it take someone to go from zero to a successful online course? Well, let's put aside the incubation time because people often play with the idea of creating an online course but not get serious about it for you know months or years. So putting that aside, once someone's like, okay, it's go time, I'm in, I want to do this, this is my focus, and presuming they know what steps and what actions to take. So you know, we work with a lot of people through our programs, so they know what to do. What we see is very typical is that people will go from zero to launching their first course inside of 60 to 90 days is what we see pretty typically. Abe, I'd love to hear what your vantage point on this is, given that you have a lot of people who sign up for Rizuku, so they're presumably at some state of readiness to get serious. What does that timeline look like from the data that you've seen? Yeah, I think it varies a lot, right? Because people are at such different stages in their business. The fastest scenario is if you've already built up, say, an established client base, um, or you have an audience that's kind of hungry for courses for you, right? Like you've been building up a YouTube following, um, you have an Instagram audience, you've built a mailing list of people who are interested in your work. You know, there's people waiting to hear from you that you have a way to help them. And those people can get a course to being a meaningful part of their business, you know, much faster, right? Because they've got place to go and sell it and they have an idea of, of what to offer. I think it takes longer when you're just passionate about the idea of teaching, but you don't have that clear sort of audience or channel to work with and you don't have clear definition over what you're creating in the first place. And that's where it's really important to go through the research and piloting methodology to make sure that you hit on a viable idea. I would like to hear from each of you what are your favorite techniques for making a course more effective? Like, if you could just add one thing to a course to make it better, what would that be? Uh, in my experience, if you could add just one thing, it would typically be some sort of accountability mechanism, right? Some way of you hearing from your students what's working and where they might need some support so you can intervene in very strategic ways. And some way of creating a sense that they have that, oh, there is a deadline. Someone is waiting for me to get this done, whether it's, you know, a very soft, the teacher is watching and waiting for my submission or a very hard and even draconian. If I don't submit my homework by this date, then I lose access. But whichever end of that spectrum you land on, if I had to add one thing, it would typically be some measure of accountability. Abe, what about you? Well, if I can flip the question yet again, I might suggest that one thing to add to a course is actually to subtract something from it. So something we very commonly see with courses is 
they're ineffective because they are over-designed and overstuffed with content. There seems to be a, a concept or a belief that by adding more material to a course, you make it more valuable, or at least make the perception of it more valuable, right? It's like stuffing that binder full of material that is so thick that you can thump it on the desk and you know, show the client, look, look how much you know, cool stuff you're getting. Isn't this great? Which is partly understandable you know, from a marketing perspective, but from a learning perspective, it just leads to overwhelm. And many of the most effective courses that I've seen and participated in are very, very carefully focused and have a, a minimum amount of content to lead you forward into application and, and taking action and, again, changing your behavior to get results, which is really what we're after in the first place. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, I think, but one of the best places to start is looking at how can you reduce the scope and reduce the complexity and the amount of content that you're delivering. I have a question that is also sort of a criticism. I hope that's okay. When I listen to Course Lab, I feel like I learn a lot, but there's also a lot that I don't know. Will you do a series of episodes that cover everything from start to finish so I have a roadmap for getting my course started? Well, first of all, I'm glad that you like Course Lab. And the short answer is that no, we're probably not going to do a curriculum inside of a podcast because a podcast is a great medium for you to dip in and dip out and grab some tips and get some insights and have your thoughts and creativity spark to explore further. I don't think a podcast is a great medium to deliver a comprehensive curriculum, partially because people do tend to dip in and dip out, but also because a comprehensive and transformative curriculum requires more than just information that you get from us. It requires opportunity for you to do the work, and maybe there are worksheets, and maybe there are exercises. And it requires structures that will give you feedback, whether it's coaching, whether it's peer structures and feedback systems that, you know, we've talked about different ways to do that with different guests on the show. So, you know, we do have options for training like that, but I don't think a podcast is the way to do that. So we're probably not going to do that through this format, but we would love to work with you in, in that way if you want to explore that. And I would be remiss if I didn't share that, you know, we do have a training that we run Every so often, typically one big enrollment of students per year where we work with people very closely to help them get their courses built and launched. And that is something that we are in the process of doing right about now. And so my assumption is that most people who listen to this podcast also get emails from me or Abe or both. And so if that's the case, then just watch your emails and uh, you'll see those opportunities. But if not, feel free to navigate to miracy.com and just reach out to us and say, hey, I hear Danny's got some cool trainings going on. I'd like to know about them. I'd like to participate. And my team will point you in the direction of the best free trainings that we have going on right now and that will lead you to the best opportunities for a more involved commitment with us. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, the co-founder and CEO of Rizuku. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network. To see what other shows we have that you might enjoy, just search Miracy FM in your favorite podcast app. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Gardson assembled the episode. In addition to being my co-host, Danny Eney is also our executive producer. Post-production by Post Office Sound. So that you don't miss the great episodes coming up on season two, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you can think of a friend, colleague, or acquaintance who would benefit from or be fascinated by the conversation that you just heard, why not share the episode with them? They'll thank you for it, and so will we. 
Thanks, and we'll see you next time. I think your answer was better than mine. <laughs> Both valuable uh, from different angles. Okay, final question. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind-the-scenes kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head-on. I'm Melinda Cohen, and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just, you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me.
This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.